Welcome to another exciting podcast brought to you by Mesa Christian Church. Reflect, remember and honour, Lord, you would just so overflow our hearts in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Let's take our seats. I'm just going to share a, a message today. And we sang it in one of the lines of paid in full. It's great when someone pays in full, not partial. If you're in business, it's great when they pay in full. They only partially pay and say, the rest will come later. And you don't trust that person. You're not sure whether it's ever going to come or not. Thank God Jesus only had to come once. He only had to die once. And he rose again once to give us eternal life because he paid in full. For our sin, our sickness, our suffering, our shame, our guilt, he paid in full. And when he shouted, it is finished, it was truly finished. And yet sometimes we try to add our little bit to the finished work of the cross to try and sort ourselves out with God. And today I want to look at some of the scriptures that remind us that he has paid it in full. Isaiah 53, verses 3 to 6. It was prophesied about Jesus. It says, He was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That includes all of us now, all throughout eternity, all throughout history. He took it all for our sin and our sicknesses. And if you go through that, um, that passage, we won't have time today, but it's very powerful because it's transgressions, iniquities, our sins, all of those are different things where we transgress across the line. Iniquities is sin that's been inherent in our souls and Jesus paid the price for it all. At the end of this message, we're going to take some time to take communion today and just to seal this time of remembrance and focus on Christ. Let's go to Matthew 27, verse 26 to 31. Matthew's record of part of the journey of Jesus going to the cross. Then he released Barabbas to them. That's crazy. He was a murderer, a terrorist, and they released him and crucified Jesus. But he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand and knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews, they said. They spit on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. After they had mocked him, they took off the robe and put on his own clothes in him. Then they led him away. To crucify him. And we have a cross here and a crown of thorns and and the suffering that Jesus did for us. Our natural mind says, why did you have to suffer so much? The price had to be paid for sin and separation from God. 
And Jesus, the perfect Lamb of God, paid that for you and I, so we don't have to pay it again. We don't have to strive with religious works to try and be good enough to be accepted by God. Quite often as a pastor, I get called to people's deathbeds or uh, people that are close to the end of their life. And, and I say, do you know Jesus? Do you have certainty, assurance of your salvation? I say, oh, I've been a good person. And I hope that's enough for God to accept me. That's not, not what the issue is here. It's not whether you're good or bad. It's whether you've come through Jesus and he transforms our hearts. Today, we focus on the finished work of the, Jesus on the cross. Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? What do you need today? Forgiveness, hope, courage, love. Whatever it is, he says he will graciously give us all things. Healing in your bodies. He gives us all things through Christ. 2 Corinthians 9.15, it says, Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. You can't put it into words fully, the indescribable gift that Jesus has come. Some of you can remember maybe the best gift you've ever received on a wedding anniversary or, or for a birthday or a special event. The greatest gift you've received. But this, the Bible calls Jesus the indescribable gift. That's why the songwriters and the psalmists try to describe and explain how amazing Jesus is. He's indescribable at times because we run out of words. But our hearts are filled with love and surrender and thanksgiving because our souls overflow with thanks. I pray that you've met this God in Christ, and your heart at times is lost for words because of the indescribable gift of His grace. Let's look at some of the aspects of Jesus suffering for our sins. Firstly, the soldiers flogged Jesus. They mocked Him. They humiliated and spat on Him. I don't know if you've ever been spat at, but it can be just a a real form of mocking and humiliation when someone spits at you or even intimates that they're going to spit at you. Jesus, he said he was beaten, he was mocked, he was humiliated. He took all of that for you and I because sinful man was out to destroy. The enemy was out to destroy Jesus. But he took it all for you and I. Jesus was brutally whipped and suffered for our sin. Some of you have watched the Passion movie. I can't watch some of that. It's just too gruesome for me. But it's Jesus took our suffering, our pain, our sin, so that we don't have to take it. He's paid it in full. You don't have to go and pay it again. Secondly, the crown of thorns. And we shared about this on, the, uh, on Wednesday at the hymn fest. An unnamed soldier took branches which were mature enough to have thorns and nimble enough to bend and he wove them together into a crown of mockery, a crown of thorns. They bowed down to him and mocked him by saying, Hail, King of the Jews. What a dramatic scene and encounter that is. Throughout Scripture, thorns symbolize not sin, but the consequences of sin. After Adam and Eve sinned, God cursed the land. Genesis 3.17 Cursed is the ground because of you, in pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall not 
and you shall eat the plants of the field. And so we see thorns are a sign of the punishment of sin. Thorns on the earth are the product of sin in the heart. Moses urged the Israelites to purge the land of godless people in Numbers 33:55. But if you do not drive out the inhabitants of land, those who allow you allow to remain will become barbs in your eyes and thorns in your sides. They will give you trouble in the land where you will live. And some of us have discovered that if we only give our life to Jesus but don't sort out all the other junk, it'll be thorns in our sides. If we don't deal with stuff in our lives or things that are happening, they will become thorns in our sides. Rebellion results in thorns. Proverbs 22.5 says, evil, evil people's lives are like paths covered with thorns and traps. Wow. Jesus even conquered the lives of evil people. In a thorn bush, he compared the lives of evil people to a thorn bush. In speaking of false prophets, he said, you will know these people by what they do. Grapes don't come from thorn bushes and figs don't come from thorny weeds. Wow. So thorns represent so much more. The fruit of sin is thorns, spiny, prickly, cutting thorns. If the fruit of sin is thorns, isn't the thorny crown on Christ's bow a picture of the fruit of our sin that pierced his heart? Step into the briar patch of humanity and feel a few of the thorns. Shame, fear, disgrace, discouragement, anxiety. Haven't our hearts been caught in these brambles? The heart of Jesus has, had never experienced this before. What you and I face daily, he never knew because he was the perfect son of God. Anxiety, he never worried. Guilt, he was never guilty. Fear, he never left the presence of God. Jesus never knew the fruits of sin until he became sin for us on the cross. Have you thought about that? He never understood that. But there, he carried it for you and I. And when he did, all the emotions of sin tumbled in on him like shadows in a forest. He felt anxious, guilty and alone. Can't you hear the emotion in his prayer in Matthew 27, 46? My God, my God, why have you abandoned me, leaving me helpless, forsaking and failing me in my need? He'd never felt that separation from God's presence and love. But he went through it for you and I. These are not the words of a saint. These are the words of one burdened down with sin. The most amazing thing about the one who gave up the crown of heaven for the crown of thorns is that he did that for you and me. Revelation 19.12 says, His eyes are like blazing fire and on his head are many crowns. Paul writes in Corinthians 9.25, Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Hallelujah. That's why I always say the most challenging, difficult day as a Christian is still way better than the best day you head outside of Jesus Christ. Don't ever forget that because Christ is our Savior and Lord. What about the nails? Jesus was a carpenter, a trade he learned from his earthly father, and now he is being nailed to a cross, probably from nails that he'd used in his carpentering. Jesus turns his head toward the, the nail just as the Roman soldier lifts a hammer to strike it into his flesh. Couldn't Jesus have stopped them? Yes, he could have called 10,000 angels. 
with a flex of his muscle, with a clench of his fist, he could have resisted. Is not this the same hand that stilled the sea? The same hand that cleansed the temple? The same hand that healed the leper and raised the dead? But now he willingly allowed himself to be nailed to the cross to take the punishment for your sin and mine. But Jesus didn't resist the soldier's action. The mallet rings and the skin rips and the blood begins to flow. Why didn't Jesus resist? Because he loved us, we reply. That is so true. But maybe that is not the whole answer. There is more to this reason. He saw something that made him say, Stay on that cross. As the soldier pressed his arm, Jesus rolled his head to the side and with his cheek resting on the wood, he saw a mallet. Yes, he saw a nail. Yes, he saw the soldier's hand. Yes, but he saw something else. He saw the hand of God. It appeared to be the hand of a man, long fingers of a woodworker, callous palms of a carpenter. It appeared common, but it was much more. Those fingers formed Adam out of clay and chiseled truth into tablets of stone. With a wave, this hand toppled the Tower of Babel and split the Red Sea. From this hand flew the locust that plagued Egypt and the raven that fed Elijah. Psalm 44.2 says, You drove out the nations with your hand. It was your right hand, your arm and the light of your countenance. The hand of God is a mighty hand. Oh, the hands of Jesus. Hands of incarnation at his birth. Hands of liberation as he healed. Hands of inspiration as he taught. Hands of dedication as he served. And hands of salvation as he died. The crowd at the cross concluded the purpose of the pounding of the nails was to tie the hands of Christ on the beam of the cross. But they were only half right as they couldn't see the other reason. But Jesus could and heaven could and we can. Through the eyes of Scripture, we see what others missed, but what Jesus saw. Colossians 2.14 He cancelled the record that contained the charges against us. He took it and destroyed it by nailing it to Christ's cross. Jesus took our sin and shame. I've been in a few meetings over my time where people have preached on the cross and and at communion time, they've got people to write out their sins and come and nail them to the cross. That's a very powerful moment when that happens. I've seen young people, tough young people, all of a sudden start to get real about their issues and nail them to the cross. And they start to weep because they see Jesus has paid. What things are you still wrestling with? Maybe you need to nail them to the cross because Jesus took it already. Selfishness. Regrets and pain of the past, disappointment, other people's actions. You can carry that and let it plague you or you can say, Jesus, you've already paid the price. I'm not going to carry this the rest of my life. You say, I don't know how to let it go. Look at Jesus on the cross and look at his finished work as he rose again and he will help you let go of the past and the pain. Between his hand and the wood, there was a list, a long list, a list of our mistakes, our lusts and lies and greedy moments and prodigal years, a list of our sins. Dangling from a cross is an itemized list of your sins. 
the bad decisions from last year, the bad attitudes from last week. There in broad daylight for all of heaven to see is a list of your mistakes. The list God has made, however, cannot be read. The words cannot be deciphered. The mistakes are covered. The sins are hidden. Those at the top are hidden by his hands. Those down the list are covered by his blood. Your sins are blotted out by Jesus. Colossians 2.14, he has forgiven you all your sins. He has utterly wiped out the written evidence of broken commandments, which always hang over our heads and has completely annulled it by nailing it to the cross. Wow. If that doesn't stir your heart, Jesus, you paid it for me. I remember I was a new Christian. I'd been brought up in a church and I gave my life to Jesus the day I finished grade 12. I remember three weeks later, I was taking communion. It was like the light turned on. I knew in my head that Jesus had died on the cross for me. But that day, as I held the communion in my hand, it was like the revelation came. He did this for you and you can live free. And for a moment, I knew that I knew that I knew that I was forgiven. And from that day on, I've never wrestled with that foundational truth again. I've wrestled with other stuff, doubts and fears, but I've never wrestled with the truth that I was fully forgiven by Jesus because that's the truth that we have before us today. Oh God, you are so good. This is why he refused to close his fist. He saw the list. He knew the price of those sins were death. He knew the source of those sins was you and since he couldn't bear the thought of eternity without you, he chose the nails. The hand swinging the hammer was not a Roman soldier. The force behind the hammer was not an angry mob. The verdict behind the death was not decided by jealous Jews. Jesus himself chose the nails. So the hands of Jesus opened up. Had the soldier hesitated, Jesus himself would have swung the mallet. He knew how he was no stranger to driving nails. As a carpenter, he knew what it took. And as a saviour, he knew what it meant. He knew that the purpose of the nail was to place your sins where they could be hidden by his sacrifice and covered by his blood. Wow. Thank you, Jesus. God himself swung the hammer. The same hand that stilled the sea stills your guilt. The same hand that cleansed the temple cleanses your heart. And the hand is the hand of God, and the nail is the nail of God. And so the hands of Jesus opened for the nail, the doors of heaven opened for you and I. Wow, wow. As I looked at that this, this week, it just gripped my heart. The written sign on, on the language, of the language of the sign over Jesus, John nineteen ninety. 19 says, Pilate had a notice prepared and listened to the cross, uh, fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city and the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, do not write the King of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be King of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I've written, I have written. He was sick and tired of this, all the pressure that was going on. This is powerful. It's that there is no language that God will not speak. 
He caused Pilate to write up the message in the three main languages of the time. Hebrew was the language of Israel, the language of religion and faith. Latin, the language of the Romans, the language of law and government. And Greek, the language of Greece, was the language of culture. Jesus Christ was declared to be king in all of them, just like today. What language is God speaking to you in today? Is God speaking to you in the language of abundance or the language of need or the language of affliction and difficulty? God is speaking to you today a message of love, hope and forgiveness. Wow. What about the other two crosses? We've only got one on stage, but there was two other crosses on that day with two criminals, one on each side. I think this speaks powerfully to us as well. God's promise through the two crosses, Luke 19, 18. Here they crucified him and with two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. Wow. He could have been on either side, but he was in the middle. And when Jesus is at the center of your life, everything else starts to get into order. Why were the two other crosses with Jesus in the middle? Could it be that the two crosses on the hill symbolized one of God's greatest gifts, the gift of choice? The two criminals have as much in common. Convicted by the same system and condemned to the same death, surrounded by the same crowd, equally close to the same Jesus, in fact, they began with the same sarcasm. Matthew 27, 44, In the same way the robbers who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him, but during the time on the cross, one of them changed. Luke 23:39 says, "One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us." But the other criminal rebuked him, "Don't you fear God?" he said, "Since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong." Then he said, "Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom." Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. What happened? He changed. We rejoice at the cry for help and forgiveness from the one criminal, but what about the other one? Why didn't Jesus give him a personal invitation to receive forgiveness and eternal life? In every age of history, on every page of scripture, the truth is revealed. God allows us to make our own choices. Wow. Wow. Sometimes we make good ones, and sometimes we've made really bad ones. Sometimes out of ignorance, sometimes out of deliberate choice. Jesus said in Matthew 7.13, A narrow gate or a wide gate, a narrow road or a wide road, the big crowd or the small crowd. We can choose to build on rock or on sand. We can choose to serve God or riches. We can choose to be numbered among the sheep or the goats. Hmm. God gives each of us eternal choices. There are times when God sends thunder to stir us. There are times when God sends blessings to lure us. But there are times when God sends nothing but silence as he honors us with the freedom to choose where we spend eternity. Wow. How could two men see the same Jesus and one choose to mock him and one choose to pray to him? I don't know, but they did. And when one prayed, Jesus loved him enough to save him. And when the other one continued to mock him, Jesus loved him enough to let him. 
He allowed him the choice, just as he does the same for you and I. Let's look at one more key thing. I will give you my robe, God's promise in the garment. What happened to Jesus' robe? Scripture says very little about the clothes that Jesus wore. We know what his cousin John the Baptist wore. We know what the religious leaders wore. But the clothing of Jesus is hardly mentioned throughout Scripture. Ever notice that? Well, that says something about the importance or lack of importance we put on clothes. Only once referred to what Jesus wore, apart from someone touching the hem of his garment and the robe he wore the day he was crucified. God is much more interested in the person on the inside than the clothing on the outside. At the cross, we see one significant reference to his clothing. John 19, 23. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them with the undergarment remaining. The garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. They gambled as Jesus died on the cross for his linen cloak. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled, which said they divided my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. So this is what the soldiers did. It must have been Jesus' finest possession. Jewish tradition called for a mother to make such a robe and present it to her son as a departure gift when he left home. It was without seam, woven from top to bottom. Scripture often describes our behavior as the clothes we wear. Peter urged in 1 Peter 1, 5 verse 5 to be clothed with humility David speaks of evil people who clothe themselves with cursing in Psalm 109 verse 18 garments can symbolize character and like his garment Jesus character was seamless coordinated unified he was like his robe uninterrupted perfection wow isn't that beautiful what a picture the character of Jesus was a seamless fabric woven from heaven to earth from God's thoughts to Jesus' action, from God's tears to Jesus' compassion, from God's word to Jesus' response. All one piece, all a picture of the character of Jesus. But when Christ was nailed to the cross, he took off his robe of seamless perfection and assumed a different wardrobe, the clothes of indignity for you and I. The indignity of makingness and shame, the indignity of failure, for a few pain-filled hours, the religious leaders were victors and Christ appeared the loser, shame before his accusers. Worst of all, he wore the indignity of sin. 1 Peter 2.24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. The clothing of Christ on the cross, sin, yours and mine the sins of all humanity. Jesus felt disgrace just like prisoners do. Every aspect of crucifixion was intended not only to hurt the victim, but to shame him. Death on a cross was usually reserved for the worst offenders, slaves, murderers, assassins, and the like. The condemned person was marched through the city streets, shouldering the crossbar and wearing a placard around his neck that named his crime. At the execution site, he was stripped and mocked. Jesus was not only shamed before people, he was also shamed before heaven. Since he bore the sin of the murderer and adulterer, he felt the shame of the murderer and adulterer. Though he never lied, he bore the disgrace of a liar. Though he never cheated, he felt the embarrassment of a cheater. Since he bore the sins of the whole world, he felt the collective shame of the world. It is no wonder that the Hebrew writer spoke of the disgrace he bore. 
Because Jesus bore our sin and shame, he now offers a robe of righteousness, of seamless purity, and he takes my patchwork coat of selfishness, greed, and pride. Galatians 3.13 says that he changed places with us. He wore our sins so that we could wear his righteousness. Though we come to the cross dressed in sin, we leave the cross dressed in the coat of his strong love. Isaiah 59.7 says we are clothed in a garment of salvation. Isaiah 61.10. Also Galatians 3.27 says that we leave dressed in Christ himself. You shall put on Christ as a garment. Let's leave the things that trouble us at the cross. Take your anxious moments to the cross. Take your bad moments to the cross and take your mad moments to the cross. We've all had a few of those. Maybe you're in one right now. Let's leave them at the cross today as we come around communion. Not once while Jesus on earth did he use his supernatural powers for his own personal comfort. We're going to prepare for communion. We're just going to ask the worship team to come. And as we reflect on some of those amazing truths, and I hope I've painted a picture today of a little bit more understanding of those six hours and the 24 hours or so leading up to it, why it is a focal point for every believer, for Christianity. Many nations that aren't even strongly Christian still stop and celebrate Easter. Many don't even know why. But I hope today I've painted a bit more of a picture of some of the things that happened on that amazing day nearly 2,000 years ago. The amazing grace that was revealed. This morning I was reading in John 1 and going through the New Testament in my devotions and it said, Jesus came full of grace and truth. He said, grace upon grace is revealed to you. It's not about how good you are, it's how good he is and what he's done for us. And we're just going to take a few moments as the emblems are distributed. Hold them in your hand. In a moment we'll partake together. Let's stay seated for a moment as they're being given. We're just going to sing quietly that beautiful song, Amazing Grace, and just let the truth of God's grace fill your heart. If you're a follower of Jesus, let let your heart just overflow. If you're wrestling with some stuff, why don't you, in your mind, say, I'm going to nail that to the cross and leave it at the foot of the cross today. I don't want to carry the guilt and shame and the regrets and the all that stuff with me anymore. Today can be a day of breakthrough and victory for your soul. Let's sing this beautiful song. Let your heart just, if you know it, you can close your eyes and just take a moment to meditate. I've been set free. My God, my Savior has ransomed me. And like a flood, His mercy reigns, unending love, amazing grace. My chains are gone, I've been set free. My God, my Savior, has ransomed me. And like a flood, His mercy reigns, unending love.
play that through again. I just want to read a couple more scriptures that as we reflect on the finished work of the cross. Hebrews 10.19 says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is his body, and since we have a great Priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Matthew 27, verse 50, when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks split. This was the curtain that kept people out of the Holy of Holies. Now it is torn open by the hand of God. The penalty for sin has been paid in full. Jesus is now our mediator of the new covenant. And with all its amazing blessings of relationship with God through Jesus, we are now welcome in Jesus' presence at any time. Why don't we stand in his presence? Before we partake today, I want you to maybe take a moment before God. And as we reflect on Jesus' hands that stayed open as he was nailed to that cross, the same hands that had healed bodies and broken hearts, the same hands that cleansed the temple, that raised people from the dead, the same hands that reached out with compassion and hope. They were still the same hands, but for those hours, he became sin for us so that we could live free. This is the message of the gospel. This is the hope of the world. We see destruction and violence and pain around the world and down our street and across our communities. But Jesus is the hope of the world. That's not a nice saying. That's the truth. It is the greatest truth. And in our hands, we hold these emblems that remind us of that. I want you to just take a moment to thank Jesus in your heart. And maybe you need to nail some things to that cross. If Jesus came personally to you, say, Hey, have you fully received my gift of love and the finished work of the cross? Can you say yes unreservedly? Or you're not sure today? As we take communion, you can say, yes, I have chosen to receive him as my Lord and Savior. I do believe. I'm not trying to add to my salvation. I'm not trying to be good enough. 
I'm not trying to be religious enough, but I get it. This is a gift of grace, and I receive that gift of eternal life through Jesus today. Maybe you're a believer, and there are things that you need to leave at the foot of the cross today. Why don't you, why don't you just name them before God today? Lord, I choose to forgive. Lord, I choose to lay down that disappointment, that pain. Lord, I choose to lay down the offense I've had with you because you didn't answer that prayer to save that person's life. Lord, I choose to leave it at the foot of the cross today. Oh, Jesus. There's some people here, maybe this is your first Easter as a a believer in Jesus Christ. What a beautiful privilege. I want you to take and honor God for that. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. There's some people here and you've been weary and losing heart. There's some people here and you've got some family members or friends that are going through a huge trial of sickness or brokenness, destruction. You're saying, Jesus, something's got to change. Jesus is able to change that. He's changing your heart and he wants to break through. Oh, Jesus. My chains are gone. I want us to sing that just once more before we partake. But before we sing it, I just get this nudge of the Holy Spirit. There's some people here that you need to have a breakthrough or you need to release something to God today. And I just feel the nudge of the Holy Spirit that some of you need to either kneel where you are to take communion today or maybe God's calling you to come and stand at the altar or kneel and just surrender your life or something that's just been so harassing your life. I just feel a a holy moment right now in the Holy Spirit. As we sing this song, if you want to kneel, it's free will, no pressure. As a surrender, some, maybe you need to come and stand or kneel at the altar and say, God, I just need to let something go. Let's take a holy moment before God. Just let the Spirit of God touch your heart. God, my Savior, has ransomed me. And like a flood, His mercy reigns. I am in love. Once more, just surrender to Him. My chains are gone, I've been set free, my God, my Savior, has ransomed me, and like a flood, His mercy reigns, love. Oh, Jesus.
we hold these emblems in our hands. This little biscuit reminds of the broken body of Jesus. We partake together in Jesus' name. Let's eat together. This cup represents the the blood of the new covenant that brought in a new way to live life in relationship with you. Your blood cleanses from all sin. You heal our lives and our bodies. We drink in remembrance of you. Jesus. I want you to thank him right now, just from your heart. Just He wants to hear from your heart today. Just for a moment, thank him in your own words. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your forgiveness. Jesus, I surrender. You are my Lord, my Savior. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Lord. Maybe today you've never, ever really opened your heart to Jesus. Someone's invited you along, a family member, a friend, and something is happening in your heart. You think, wow. Maybe you've never, ever heard the gospel message to, like this before, or maybe you have before, but something is just changing in your heart today. I'd like to pray for you right now. If that's you, just give me a wave and say, that, that's just me. I've never really surrendered Jesus or I'm coming back to him today. Just, just lift your hand and say, that's me. I just want to be right with God today. Who's that today? Spirit of God's just drawing some hearts. I feel it right now. Men and women, who's that today? God's calling you right now. He loves you so much. Oh, Jesus. My chains are gone. Let's sing it once more. My chains are gone. Stay tuned for another exciting podcast brought to you by Bayside Christian Church. 